this morning. My name is Rusty Simon. My wife Lisa and I have been uh, fortunate to be here fellowshipping with y'all. You could be seated. <laughs> fortunate enough to be with y'all for the past eight years or so. We're going to do communion together today. When the last Passover of Jesus came around, he told his disciples, I eagerly desired to do this with you, to have this meal with you. And this morning, he wants to connect with us. He wants to connect with you. He, he eagerly desires that. Communion is an act of remembrance uh, where Jesus commanded us to take bread and It was a practical way to remember his sacrifice on the cross. Paul tells, tells us in 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you drink this bread and drink this, when you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So this passage tells us a little bit later that communion is something that was set aside for Jesus' followers. So we're going to let you decide if you're ready and your family's ready to participate this morning. So at this time, let's line up and receive the elements. We can go ahead and get the bread in, though. I like to read from Isaiah 53 while we're in line. We're going to get the elements, we're going to bring it back to our seat, and then we'll all take it together. Isaiah 53 said, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, and familiar with pain, like one whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and yet we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering and yet we considered him punished by God stricken by him and afflicted for he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities the punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed we all like sheep have gone astray each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. In this passage of scripture in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul also tells us we should examine ourselves. Let's take time to examine ourselves for a moment. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread. Let's take the bread together. When he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember his body broken and eat together.
In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup. Let's take the cup together. Saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's remember his blood that was shed for us and drink together. We're so thankful this morning for your sacrifice that you took our sin and nailed it to the cross. And you want to have a relationship with us forever. And you made the way. Thank you for this body and people that we're in cell group with and the people that we're sitting next to right now. We pray for that desire to earnestly be with you and to be with each other and celebrate what you've done. We thank you in Jesus' name. And when the disciples finished the Last Supper, they began to sing songs of worship. Let's do that together. Morning. Buenos dias, iglesia. Bienvenidos. Welcome. I want to say welcome to everyone that's here uh, in the auditorium with us, as well as those that are joining us with the live stream. Uh, my name is Josh Rodriguez, and I'm the building coordinator here at Life Community Church. And I'm Brett. I'm the worship and young adults pastor. Yeah, we wanted to uh, let you know and share some of the announcements that we have for you today. And first, we want to start off by saying thanks. Uh, last week, uh, we joined together. A number of you took a look at the food pantry and did a quick tour. We had some that were distributing bags uh, on Sunday and on Monday. And then yesterday, we did the neighborhood food run where we gathered the bags and sorted. We had over 20-some people that helped with that as well as you that have prayed for it and joined. So a little round of applause wow. for all of our efforts. We got some numbers on the totals, and we had over 2,700 pounds of food that we gathered. Whoa. And that's not even in addition to the financial donations that they have not uh, got a total number for. So we have made a big impact in the neighborhoods that are around us. So we wanted to share that with you. And wanted to say thanks for everyone who joined in with that. As well, uh, we wanted to let you know uh, grassroots, uh, grassroots events and ideas that you may have. Uh, those things that you are interested in starting, uh, things that you are doing, we'd love to hear about that. And ways that you can share what is going on, what you'd like to do, let us know at hello at lifecommunity.com. And I think we got a few more announcements. Yes, we do. And also we want to say, if this is your first time at LCC or maybe you've only come here a couple of times, welcome. We're happy to have you here this morning. There's going to be a QR code that's going to be on the screens for the rest of the announcements. And it will also be up after uh, the service is over. Thanks, it's newish. Uh, and if you want, you can go on your phone, take a picture of that, uh, and it will direct you right to our website. We would love to get to know you. We'd love to welcome you. Uh, but yes, yeah, some of the other announcements that we have, you've heard me talk about it like five times this month, but I'm just so excited. <laughs> baptisms are happening next week. Next Sunday, we're going to be having baptisms. It's going to be awesome. If you are interested or you know someone who's interested, meet me right here, right here after the service, okay? I'll be standing right here. Okay, where are you going to meet me? Nice. Awesome. <laughs> okay. Uh, for the baptism meeting, that'll be great. And then also, we have one more announcement that I am completely blanking on. Uh, Matt, if we can get the next Honduras. slide. Be, Han, thank you. There you thank go. You. Of course. This is why we do it in pairs. <laughs> thank you, Josh. Uh, we are sending a team to Honduras really, really soon, and we're actually going to be taking some time at the end of the service to pray over them. And we are just, we feel really blessed uh, to have this team, and we are really excited. Uh, so, yeah, we'll see them at the end of the service, but... Uh, until then, Josh, you want to close us in prayer? Yeah. Uh, God, we want to say thanks that you've brought us together here today. Uh, we pray as uh, Dan leads us in uh, our study 
of James that you would just prepare us, that you would speak clearly uh, through Dan what you uh, want to tell each one of us, how we can put these uh, words of yours into practice. And we ask all this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. Is everybody awake this morning? We had unplugged worship, right? Which tends to put you in that contemplative mood, right? So let's let's bring it here. Let's stay with me here. This is important stuff. We're going to get into the book of a little bit deeper into the book of James today. Um, I'm Dan. I'm the lead pastor here. If I've not met you, welcome. We really are. We're so glad that you're here today to be a part of our family. Um, we are going a little bit deeper today into what God wants for this body through the book of James. So here we go, uh, and we're going to start with a story. A couple weeks ago, my wife and I had a very unique experience. We, um, it was on a Monday. We have a, our day off is on Monday. It's always been on Monday. We really try to protect that day. That's a, our day together. And oftentimes we'll go out, we'll get breakfast or lunch together or something like that. And um, we tried a new place, which is not the norm for us, okay? We like the standards, right? I don't know if you like to venture out. We like the standards, but we went to a new place, and it was just east of downtown. It was a cafe. And here was what was unique. From the moment we walked in, I'm not kidding you, from the moment we walked in, we were celebrated. We were welcomed in. It was like we were family. It was like we had always been family at this place. And the owners, who appeared to be a, a husband and wife team, I think there was some more family in the back, too, um, they, they welcomed us about as warmly as one could welcome. And they pursued us. They asked questions about who we were, and they continued that throughout the meal. We felt like, like royalty. Now, sometimes you go out, right, you just want to be alone. Just leave me alone, right? If you're that way, this is not the place for you, <laughs> okay? They will engage you, but I'll tell you what, it wasn't intrusive. It, it, was, it felt honest and genuine, and it felt good to be welcomed like that. Here's the thing. It wasn't just us. Everybody who walked through that door got this kind of treatment. It was interesting to be eating our meal and sit back and to watch this happen. It was one of those places that seemed like everybody knew each other. Everybody knew uh, each other's names, right? Um, and there, it was just, I can't explain. It was a spirit. It was a culture of welcoming. Everybody was in. And you just don't have usually those kinds of experiences when you go places. On top of that, the food was good. You want to know where it is? I'll tell you afterwards, okay? Come up and ask me, okay? I'll tell you. All right, today we head into the second chapter of James, James chapter 2. And we, we enter into these themes of welcoming, of hospitality, of what, how, I guess, Jesus wants us to treat others, regardless of how society has labeled them, all right? Now, James wrote this letter, and he wrote it not long after Jesus was here, and Jesus had finished his mission. He had died on the cross for the sins of the world. He had risen from the dead, and he had laid the foundation for the church. And after he left, his followers remained, but they became quickly persecuted. They were scattered out. You see, the majority of the Jews rejected Jesus. They didn't recognize him as God or Messiah. So those who did faced persecution. They were scattered out. They began to live in new places, taking the gospel message there to these new places. These, these Jewish believers, they had to leave behind so much. They left behind their lives, their careers. They left behind homes that they had built. They were starting over. And even when they got to these new places, they had to deal with Jews who were there, who, the same kind of Jews who had rejected Jesus. Jews who still observed and the old system that God had initiated, a system that had been corrupted by their religious leaders over time. You see, God set it up for good, the system, but they, it had been corrupted. It had become an enslaving, legalistic type of system that was ruled by the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders. Now, Jesus, when he came, he upended that, that, that corruption that was happening. He turned it upside down. He established a new covenant, a new system that would both fulfill the old and replace the old. The old was never meant to be permanent. This, this new covenant that he brought was only possible because he died and he rose again. We'll talk about that later. 
So James writes this letter to, to an audience. And as we read it, we got to understand this. These followers of Jesus were learning to live under this new system. At the same time, they were learning to unhitch themselves from the corruption of the old system. It's very important to know that. So at the end of chapter 1, we talked about this last week, verse 27 of chapter 1, James, James gives them a picture of what this, this, this new practice of their faith looked like and how it looked in its purest form. And this is how he, what he said. Religion, the practice, the system of faith that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is the pure practice of faith. See, James wants them to understand that pure faith is this. It's action. It's an external force. Pure faith is eternity-driven, right? There's no earthly reward for, for uh, helping widows and orphans in their affliction, right? They can't pay you back. That's why it's the purest form, right? It's, it's eternity-driven. The practice of faith, also, it comes from the inside. It's, the motivation is for God and God alone. And James sets the foundation of this, and he's going to talk about it throughout the rest of the book. So here we go. You ready? James chapter 2, verse 1. This is what he writes. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Show no partiality. That word for partiality in the Greek is favoritism. Show no favoritism. In light of, of Jesus Christ, who's the Lord of glory, when you look at him, his glory, the earthly distinctions fade away. Don't show favorites. And now, James is going to give them a scenario to just kind of flesh this out, to give them an example. We don't know if this is a real scenario that we're about to read or a hypothetical one. Uh, because of some of the details, I think this has probably happened in some form. It's like Hollywood, right, based on a true story. But it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. It applies either way. And here's the scenario. So my brothers show no partiality. Verse 2, for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. Let's stop there because you can picture it, right? We're in an assembly right now. Imagine it. There's a rich man coming through that aisle. There's a poor man, okay? They're both coming in. The word assembly refers to, is the word used for the Jewish synagogue. It could be that. It could also be um, the believers likely used the same term for their gatherings. Um, that's what they were used to. Uh, we don't know why they assembled. doesn't say if it was a meeting or a service. We also don't know anything about the spiritual condition, what's going on on the inside of the rich man and the poor man, all right? So if a, poor, if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, verse 3, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and you say, hey, you sit here in this good place. While you say to the poor man, hey, you, you stand over there. Or maybe you can sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? I love James. <laughs> Doesn't James just come out and say, uh, this is what's going on inside if you do this? He's so direct. But this rich man comes in. He's got, he's got nice stuff. He's got fine clothing. He's got a gold ring, which often, like, was this, the sign of somebody who was important, a dignitary maybe. The poor man's got shabby clothing. The Greek word for shabby is, like, dirty. It's dirty clothing. And as these men enter, James introduces what he thinks might be our natural reaction, right? Schmooze the rich guy, right? Schmooze the rich guy. Pay attention to him. That's the Greek word. Pay attention, and it means to look with favor on, 
Now, why would we treat them differently? We don't know anything about what's going on in the inside, right? Why would we treat them differently? Well, this is all based on externals. It's all based on what we see, what we see on the outside. It brings about this snap judgment, right? In the blink of an eye, just these, all of a sudden your motivations are just revealed very quickly. Perhaps the rich guy can do me a favor. Perhaps I can get a job. Perhaps I can gain advantage in some ways. You remember, these believers were in not great shape financially, having left where they were and scattered. Or perhaps this rich person, you know, we're persecuted. Maybe they can bring some attention to our movement here. Maybe they can bring more people to follow Jesus, right? But the motivation is not there for the poor man. What can the poor man do for me, right? So naturally, it makes sense. Elon Musk comes in over here. Hey, Mr. Musk, we've got a great seat for you right over here. And who are you? I'm not sure what your name is. You stand over there. You stand out of the way. And James says, if, if you do that, if that's, what, if that's how you treat people, then this is what's going on in the inside. You become judges with evil thoughts. Notice it says among yourselves. This is a corporate event. Even if one person greets and does it, the whole community has done it. You catch that? It's a corporate thing. Now, you might be sitting back and, and, and judging a little bit, even as you read that, and say, that's obvious. You don't treat people like that, especially in public. How could you do that? But you've got to put yourself in the, in the mind of the Jewish Christian at that time, right? They had uh, been steeped in a corrupted system, a system um, that even corrupted the way they viewed, viewed seating. They had baggage here. Let me explain a little bit with this. Um, we're going to go to Matthew 23. And Jesus addresses some things that were going on at the time there. Uh, he says this to, to the crowds and to his disciples. He says this about the religious leaders. The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. Moses' seat is the place of instruction, the place where teaching goes out from. Okay? Say a lot more about that, but we've got to keep moving. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach, but do not practice. Okay, so listen to what they say, but not what they do. Here's what they do. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people. They lay them on the people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. Right? Make sense? No. What are phylacteries? What are fringes? Let's talk about that very quickly, okay? Here's a picture of a modern-day uh, Jew. You see on their forehead a, a small square leather box. In that box, it contains portions of Scripture, and that is based on a command in Deuteronomy 6, where it says, tie these commandments as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Now, that was meant to, to be a figurative expression. It became a literal one because that's what people did. And we do that too, right? We put up uh, maybe things in our in our houses, uh, but this had become a literal thing for them. Fringes, you see on, on his hands, right? You see the tassels there, fringes or tassels. And those were actually um, God commanded. People wore those at the time. Uh, they were a reminder to his people of their holy calling. All right? So, but what was happening here? They're doing things with these phylacteries and fringes. I can't even say it three times fast. There's no way. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and let's keep going, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. Now, you've got to understand, some of these things God set up for good. God set up seating for good. He set up fringes for good. He set these things apart for his glory. But what God meant for good in the old system, had been hijacked. It had been corrupted. Its purpose had been thwarted. And now these phylacteries, fringes, seats, were a sign of status and position. So 
I tell you this because James' audience has baggage here. There were systems that were set up that were corrupted. Some of them were good things. Some of them had been corrupted, though. So to embrace what Jesus was bringing out, this new system, they had to unlearn some things. And they had to unlearn some of what their religious leaders were, were selling them. Right? Jesus was resetting things here. So back to the story here. If you choose the rich man over the poor, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now, we're, we're still tempted by this today, aren't we? This kind of partiality, even among ourselves, even among followers of Jesus. We, we sometimes we blend our faith with, with, with business practices or principles or leadership or, or politics, right? We make a big deal out of the successful, the good-looking, the famous, those who are out front, Christians who are actors or athletes, right? Musicians. And in a similar way, when, when in Christ, we've got to unlearn because we shouldn't be impressed by the fake glory of social kinds of status. And unfortunately, I, I think we still, we still think more highly of the athlete, right, who says a few words after a game that acknowledges God rather than the faithful person who's serving God and who's just serving behind the scenes faithfully time and time again. What if we can get that Christian athlete to come? What if we can get that celebrity, that politician? What if we can get somebody that would change everything? That would change everything, right? When I was a kid, I went to a big church. Thousand, 8,000, 10,000 people. Big church in Akron right? And at that church were two of the Cleveland Cavaliers players that went there. Uh, Mark Price, Craig Elo from back in the day, my heroes, right? And I remember one Good Friday service. I'm, I'm, I'm at the Good Friday service, right? And I'm trying to focus on the cross. And across the pew on the other side is Mark Price. This is my hero. I mean, can I get up and ask for an autograph? Would that be inappropriate? I think it would. Now, these guys came. They were faithful. Man, they used their, they were sitting in the back row, by the way. They, they, they came, and, and they used the platform that God had given them to share Christ. And that's not a bad thing, right? But here's the deal. In Christ, they get the same treatment as anyone else. When they come into the room, right, there's no distinctions. That's how it's meant to be. That's how God wants it to be. If we make distinctions, we become judges with evil thoughts. How can I gain advantage? You see, making distinctions among ourselves is an act of division. It divides. That's what our enemy does. He tries to divide us. It works against the unity that, that Christ so desperately prayed for. He prayed to the Father for unity among his followers. That's why someone needs to tell AMC Theaters not to charge us by the section we're seated in, right? They're, they're dividing us. You guys hear about that? They're dividing us. Now, let me clarify. There, there are clearly different distinct roles in the church. God's given gifts us gifts, and some are called to be out front, some behind the scenes, and some in between, right? And we're not being partial by saying not everyone's a teacher, or not everyone has the gift of mercy or helps. What James is addressing here is the most basic level of who, who's invited and welcome. And in that space, there's no one more important than another. Even in the use of gifts, there's no one more important than another. So in Christ, we are working to unlearn and undo what just comes naturally to us, the flesh in us that pays special attention, that tends to, to give favor. You've heard the phrase probably implicit bias. Have you heard that before? Like um, you go into a situation and you tend to, to have baggage. You might view a certain kind of person a certain way because of whatever reason. And it's often a polite way for us to excuse partiality, right? Right? Because in Christ, we are 
learning to undo the flesh, to undo the implicit bias, if you want to call it that, as we gather. We are, by his spirit, trying to grow and unlearn those kinds of things. Let's keep going. James 2, verse 5. Listen, my beloved brothers, has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? That's Jesus. Aren't the rich blaspheming Jesus? So you read this. There's something happening here, right? He's getting pretty specific. This is more than just a scenario, I believe. So he says, listen, and, and as, as you read this again, I want to read it again because remember, these beloved followers of Jesus were in difficult financial position, right? You could call them poor in a lot of ways. They didn't have material things like they used to have. And James is writing to them. He's saying, has not God chosen the poor, you, to be rich in faith and heirs to the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? Listen, you're poor, but, man, you are rich. You are rich because you have faith in Christ. But you have dishonored the poor. You've dishonored yourself. That's you. On top of that, you're paying attention to the ones who oppress and blaspheme. This, what's going on here? Well, it could be. It, it's likely thought that the rich in this case are, are Jews. They're fellow Jews who rejected Jesus, right? They didn't lose their money. They didn't have to start over. No, from their position, they now oppressed these Jews who followed Jesus. The Apostle Paul was one of them, right? He was one of them, hunting down Christians, blaspheming. After his conversion even, remember the Apostle Paul himself was dragged into court by Jews. All right, this passage to me is fascinating. It is fascinating, and we learn some things about God in this. So let's talk about a couple things we learn about God in this. And one of them is this. Two, two things exist together with God. One is that he's impartial, and that the other thing is that he chooses. Wrap your head around that. He's impartial, but he chooses. Some have said he has like a holy partiality, right? He's impartial, but he chooses. And God has always chosen people or people groups. And that means he's not chosen others, right? He picked Noah and his family to, to be delivered from the flood. We know that Noah was God-fearing. He chose Abraham. He chose Rahab, a prostitute. He chose Ruth, a foreigner. He chose the Jews to be the chosen people to bring Jesus to the whole world, right? To the whole world, to Gentiles. That's why you can't just look at the Old Testament. You've got to look at the totality of the Scriptures. It's interesting because Peter, who was a Jew who followed Jesus, when he learned that the gospel was not just open to Jews, but it was open to the whole world, this is what he had to say. Truly, I understand. God shows no partiality. Truly, I understand. God chooses. God chooses, but he does not make distinctions like us. His choosing is based on grace, mercy. Sometimes he chooses based on the heart. He chose David, right? Went through all his brothers and chose the youngest. Jesus' followers noticed something about him. In Matthew 22, they, they noticed that he, they said, you're the one who's true, and you teach the word of God truthfully. And you don't care about people's opinions, and you are not swayed by appearances. That's not God's. That, God doesn't look at things that way. We tend to look at things that way. 
The second thing we learn about God is that God absolutely advocates for the poor and the oppressed, right? He exalts the poor. He exalts the oppressed. Now, you look at verse 5 here, and you say, well, how are the poor rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, right? Well, what is true, what is often true with the poor is that the poor see clearer. The poor are in a position to receive, right? Jesus has compassion on even the rich young ruler, but the rich young man will not walk away. He can't see past his wealth, right? And even you think about the parables Jesus told, the parable of the great banquet, right? The, the guests are invited to the banquet, but those who are well off, those who have things often make excuses. I got to take care of that stuff. I can't be a part of things. So the command is given, go out to the poor, the lame, whatever, and invite them in, right? So the invitation is the same, but the rich have a hard time seeing. But the fact is, God loves both. God loves both. In Job, he tells us, listen, there's no partiality. He doesn't regard the rich more than the poor. They're all the work of his hands. That's in Job 34. God wants everyone to come to knowledge of the truth. So James is declaring here what's often true, but you got to know this. Not all poor people will choose faith, and not all rich people are automatically excluded from faith. And Someday we're going to be worshiping, and there are going to be people who on earth who they're on earth who were wealthy, and people who were poor. But I there's going to be a lot more poor people. There'll be a lot more people who can see clearly. Because for the rich it'll be harder to receive what they can't see. We spent a whole year talking about this. There's like a theology, man, of, of the poor and how God views them. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. He, he causes them to sit with princes and in, inherit a seat of honor. That's from 1 Samuel 2. Jesus was with the poor. Jesus met the poor. And James says, you've dishonored the poor if you set them inside in favor of the rich. Let's keep going. Verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, the royal law is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. James is straightforward. James loves to be straightforward, doesn't he? So making distinctions, partiality is what? What does he call it? Say it again. Can't hear you. Sin. It's sin. But he says this is, this is the law above all laws. This is what the royal law means. The supreme law above every other law. Love, love your neighbor as you would be loved. That's it. If you love the poor person who comes in, as you love yourself, you'll not pay special attention to the rich person and toss the poor person or the widow or the orphan aside. Let's keep going. Verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not, commit, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a tra transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The law of liberty. The law of liberty. This is the, the new system. And with, with these verses, which we'll get into a little bit in a second, with these verses, James introduces a question for all of us to think about. Actually, a couple. What measure will I use with others 
And am I okay with that same measure being used on me? What measure will I use with others, and am I okay with that same measure being used on me? If I'm making distinctions, if I'm playing favorites, I'm sinning. That has been made clear. I'm breaking the law just like breaking the other commandments is breaking the law. I'm a lawbreaker. Oh, I can play favorites, but I'm still a lawbreaker. Am I okay with being judged as a lawbreaker? Because that's what I am if I use that standard of measurement. And here's where Jesus just turns things upside down. Jesus says, you can measure a different way. You can speak and act as those who are judged by the law of freedom, the law of liberty. James mentioned this law of freedom, law of liberty in chapter 1, 2. Right? The law of freedom has at its core mercy. Mercy is at the core. God in Christ has looked on you and I with mercy. He's given us an opportunity to walk with him, to follow him, to be forgiven. He gave his life so that we could have life. That's mercy. So first of all, we got to ask, am I okay with God looking at me with mercy? Heck yes. Absolutely. I will take that. Thank you, God. It's a gift. You don't look at me as I am. You're merciful towards me. So will I use that measure with others? Will I live by that same measure? Will I be merciful to the poor man? Will I welcome him simply because God in Christ has welcomed me? Will I love my neighbor? Jesus says, yes, do it. Be merciful, even as your father is merciful. Be merciful. Or will I be merciless? Merciless, right? Will I choose that and play favorites? If that's the case, then that's the measure that will be used for me. And I'll be judged. Now, let's talk about this because immediately we think, well, what does that mean? I'm, does that mean God's going to reject me? Does that mean I'm not going to heaven? When we, when we trust Christ, we are forgiven, okay? It doesn't mean we still don't choose poor mistakes, right? But there, there is a judgment coming even for those who, of us who follow Jesus and believe in Jesus, it's in, uh, it's in 2 Corinthians. I think I got it on here somewhere. Let's see if I can find it. Oh, maybe it got cut out. It's in 2 Corinthians 5. It talks, talks about the judgment seat of Christ, that, that we'll be judged for things that are done in the body of Christ, whether good or bad, right? I don't know how that's going to look. I just know that the Scripture says that, that it matters what we do. I also know that there are natural consequences for what I do when I'm not merciful with others that I might experience in this life, Right? But we're called to be merciful even as our Father is merciful. Paul says to us, listen, he says this, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the, all the commandments, all the commandments, and they're listed there, they're summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. This is a message that is hammered home again and again in the New Testament, a lot of times by Paul. He says in Galatians 5, you were called to this, this law of freedom, to freedom, brothers. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity to go back to the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. So let's talk, let's bring this to today. Now James gives us this example, right? This, it's based on, uh, the distinction is based on economics, right? The rich and the poor. There's a lot of other ways we make distinctions, right? We make distinctions based on appearances, hair color, height, weight, tattoos, demeanor, being extroverts, that introverts, being loud, being quiet, gender, religious preferences, special needs, race, ethnicity, language, political views, educational backgrounds, single, married, divorced, widows. We can make, I keep going and going. 
right, with this. So how about this strange birds? Sometimes, ah, you're a strange bird. Who is it for you? What's, what's, what's the natural tendency for you to make distinction and be partial? How we treat others may be an accurate indicator to the extent which Christ's love and his mercy compel and control us. There's a lot of ways we can tell people, go stand over there, right? There's a lot of ways. Our posture, our, our, our inaction, our silence. Sometimes that's all that needs to be said. Go sit over there. So we got to explore maybe who we're partial to, right? I'm partial to those who look like me, speak like me. I'm, I'm partial to those I'm in a group with or a ministry team with. <laughs> Clicks don't just happen on the playground, right? They happen here as well. I, I, I'm guessing some of us have the mentality, listen, we got a welcome team, right? They can deal with the strange birds, when they come in. The welcome team can deal with that. They're here to be welcoming. But Jesus says this, you and I, we're the welcome team. All of us, every single one of us is the welcome team here in this body. There's no one who's not on the welcome team. And this is where I want to celebrate a little bit because I think this is happening around here. I see this happening. I, we've been fortunate to have this thing here for a while, this beautiful thing that God is doing in us. And I think it's really been growing over the last season, this consistent love for all people and how we treat them. Not welcoming people because of what they do for us or what they do for our body, but simply because we've been welcomed, right? And to be this place where we just exalt Christ. We live under the glory of Christ, and the earthly distinctions just, they fade away. They fade away, whatever they are. I hear stories about you guys all the time. I hear stories of, of people who've come in here and just say, wow, there's something just welcoming and inviting about this place. Someone came up to me. Someone helped me. Someone followed up with me. I hear stories all the time. Let me tell you one I heard uh, at our 25-year anniversary, okay? We had it in September, our 25-year anniversary of church. A lot of people came uh, from out of town. One family in particular drove six hours to come be a part of that. And um, they recounted to me the first time they came to Life Community. And they told me, the mom told me, uh, that when they came in, there was a particular person, and they named the person. I'm not going to name the person because I want them to have the rewards, right, in heaven. Someone came to them, welcomed them, welcomed their kids, went into the service with them, sat down with them, stayed with them after the service, helped them enter into community. And this family had some needs. They reached out. I could keep going. There are more things. But I want to tell you, that was a significant start for that family, for the journey of, of their faith here in this body until God took them away due to work. And it was all because somebody basically said, somebody not on the welcome team, by the way, just said, I'm going to welcome. I'm going to welcome them as Jesus welcomed them. And that's what we're all called to do. Romans 15 tells us, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you to the glory of God. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. You are the welcome team. I'm the welcome team. And you have no idea 
what difference it makes to be loved, to be welcomed, to be invited in. People are starving to be loved and welcomed. This world, it divides, it plays favorites, it makes distinctions. It tells people they don't belong. It labels people. You're this, you're that. It sends people over there to stand. It's a world that's, that's driven by self, right? Self-advantage. How do I get advantage in this world? It's everywhere, right? I call a tech company, and I get put on technical support. For technical support, I get put on hold for hours, right? I call that same company back, and I say, hey, I, I want to pay my bill, but let's put you right through. We'll put you right through. Yep. It's the world we live in. That's a company, but we live that way too, self-seeking. But you are followers of the Most High God. You are followers of Jesus. He's your example. You are loving others as you would be loved. You are an example of mercy. You have tasted the mercy of God. You have seen that it is good. And because of that, you want others to know it, and you want to be merciful towards others. You are people of empathy. And like your Lord, you are people who will exalt those who are poor in all types of ways. I see that in you. I've seen it. And it's a beautiful thing. And I want to celebrate. Hey, we got more ground to take, but I want to celebrate what God has done in us. And what I would love to be true in the places where this body of Christ exists is this. Everyone is welcomed. Every person is welcomed. No one is left alone. We leave the 99 for the one. No one is left alone. I'm talking in every place that the body of Christ gathered. That means teens in our youth. A lot of our teens are away on a retreat this weekend. But in a youth group, everyone's welcome. No one is left alone. The demographics in Hilliard have changed. They are changing. There are more cultures here. There are more people here. What I want to be true of us is that no one is left alone. No one. And what that means is that when we come to any place that the body of Christ is gathered, and beyond. We come ready. We are on a mercy mission. Even today, we're ready to dispense mercy to each other. And to bring it full circle, this is just part of James' consistent message in this book, that we're to take more ground to become spiritually mature, to have the real, pure practice of faith, which is action, it's action, it's driven by eternity, and it comes from the inside. Like John talked about last week, it's from abiding with Jesus, from living in his word, from listening to the spirit and living in that. We are transformed. I want to tell you today, if this is the first time you've heard about what Jesus has done for you on the cross, I want to tell you, just say it again, you are welcomed. You are welcomed by the God who made you, and he made a way through Christ for you to have life, for you to have forgiveness, and for you to walk with him. He has welcomed you. I'd love to talk to you, with you more about that. I'll stick around afterwards. I'd love to talk to you more. Pray with me, would you? Spirit, we just invite, invite you to take more ground in our hearts. And God, we know as fallen people, there are places we can't even see. We ask that you would reveal those to us. God, and we ask, God, for this body to be so unified 
to be so captivated by the glory of you, of your son, that the distinctions fade away. That we're so captivated by the glory of your son that we exalt. We exalt those who are hurting, those who are poor. We lift them up. Jesus, thank you for your mercy towards us. Your beautiful mercy. And thank you for the work that you're continuing to do in our hearts. And we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. We praise you this morning, Father. You all can have a seat. I want to invite our friend Armando down just for a few moments to pray. Good morning. Are you awake? What a great service, right? Uh, I'm so grateful to be here. And I just want to take a moment. This will be less than five minutes or less than 10 minutes or less than 20 minutes. Uh, it should be around that time. Uh, just to pray for our team that is leaving next Saturday for Honduras. Uh, I want to call them down. If they can come, Rachel, lead your team here. Uh, if you can put your hand together. They are going next Saturday. Uh, they are willing to surrender a week of their work, uh, vacation, PTO time, just to spend helping other people in Honduras. Uh, and this is great. And we have a surprise for you this morning. Um, two weeks ago, right, Petra? Was two weeks ago or one week ago that we start asking? Two weeks? Two? Or victory? What is that? Two weeks ago. Uh, we have a mission, and, and we gave this mission to you. We was trying to paint uh, the upper school, um, and we was asking for fifteen hundred dollar, yes, fifteen hundred to eighteen hundred, uh, but was only two weeks. Uh, but the good news, we have something for you that I want to open here. Uh, are you ready? We made $1,765 just to paint the opera school. This is the final number. This is great. Could you praise louder, please? This is great. It's a great victory. Thank you so much. This is amazing, right? We are so grateful for your life. Thank you so much for your donation. But we have more. Um, most of you know Pastor Marvin, uh, that we are helping him. He's the one, the one with the blue shirt, yes. Let's say Volunicia or Honduras. Um, his daughter is in, in need medical, have a medical condition, and a group from our church is covering the treatment for three months for her. Could you put, please put your hand together too, just to praise the Lord for what God is doing here. Now, Rachel, real quick, could you please introduce your team? Uh, I'm Rachel. I'm Carrie. And imagine right here, Carrie's sister, Jenny, and Allie and Ben. And then Rich is coming, but I don't see him here today. So Rich Adams is also coming with us. Great. Yeah. OK, can we stand up and pray for them? And I want you to stand your hand. This is our people. This is our people going on mission. Could you pray for security for them? Could you pray for help for them? And I'm going to give you 30 seconds just to bless them where you are. Extend your hand. Pray for them. This is your moment. Thank you, Lord, for this team. Thank you because you are on mission and your church is on mission too. Thank you because you are putting in, in Rachel and, and her team the heart to serve others. Uh, and they are willing to take time and love them in the way that mo some of us are not able to love. I am praying that they be your hand in this week that they are planning to be there that they be your voice communicating 
your love to them, that we can serve to this community through them, and I am praying that you bless them. Just bless their going and their coming. Uh, be with the plane, that everything be on time. Be with, with everything that they are doing there. And, and, and when they come, they can bring a lot of testimony about your mercy uh, and your love. Thank you for the message today, because it's a reminder that we have to love the one that don't have nothing to offer to us. We love you, Lord, and we are praying that you keep them safe. We are praying all this in your name. Amen. Thank you so much. I'm giving the space yes. to Brad. Thank you. Yeah, let's give a round of applause. Lift up praise to our Lord for what he's done. Uh, and just before you leave, one last thing. Baptism meeting is where? Right here. Thank you. We'll see you then. Have a great week.